Good evening, everyone. Yeah. Um, so tonight I'm going to talk about three principles of following Jesus. So I'm just going to pray before I get into the message. <clears throat> Lord, um, thank you, God, just for just the good time we had, Lord, just um, just memorizing those verses, God, and just being able to say them off by heart. And um, I just praise you that just we can be here tonight, Lord, as, as believers. And uh, I just pray I wouldn't be uh, in vain, God, just that you'd help me to be able to explain these truths, God, to the people, and um, that you just give us something to to ponder on, something to encourage us tonight, Lord, something to edify, and uh, something to take home, Lord. And um, I just pray you help me just explain things clearly and concisely, Lord. In Jesus' holy name I pray, amen. Right, so um, the word Christian is often uh, used very casually and loosely in today's world. You know, in churches you might hear people say that, you know, so-and-so is a Christian, but they're not living the Christian life. Or you'd hear people saying that such and such a celebrity or such and such a politician is a Christian. Or you'd hear in the news or on TV and stuff, you'd always hear like, you know, there are two billion Christians in the world today. Stuff like that. The question is, are any of these usages of the word Christian actually correct? You know, the truth is a lot of the time, the usage of the word Christian in society isn't correct. So the word Christian or Christians is used three times in the Bible. So if you open your Bibles to Acts 11.26, firstly, we see it here used for the first time. Acts 11.26 says, And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch, and it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. So this was a description that the people of Antioch gave to the believers, Christians. Acts 26, 28 is another example. So I want to turn to that one. Acts 26, 28. Um, so this is Agrippa uh, speaking to Paul. Paul is preaching the gospel to Agrippa. And Agrippa says, Then Agrippa said unto him, or said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. So there's the word used again. And again it's used in 1 Peter 4.16. I'm going to go to the right again. It's another example of the use of the word Christian. Um, for 4.16. 1 Peter 4.16. Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. So we see the word Christian used again. So the word Christian in the Bible is a translation of the Greek word Christianos, for all you Greek scholars out there, which means follower of Christ. It just simply means follower of Christ. It doesn't mean a church attendee. It doesn't mean a Bible reader. It doesn't mean a moral person or a member of a denomination. The word Christian just means a follower of Christ. Someone that strives to go where he went, live as he lived, to do what he done. And we could hardly say that there are actually two billion people in the world that are actually doing that today. Of course it's not. There's lots of people, even in born-again churches, that aren't even following Jesus. So tonight I'm going to talk about how we, we are to prove ourselves to be true followers of Jesus. Um, and there are three principles of following him that Jesus gave us that we must be striving towards. And these three things are what separates true followers of Jesus from those that are not following Jesus. So let's go to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 16. I know all of you that were in teens a couple of weeks ago are thinking, oh, I know it's the same message again, but it's not. It's a little bit different. So Matthew 16 and verse 24. 
is uh, where we're going to be talking from tonight. Matthew 16 and verse 24. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So we see here that Jesus provides with three requirements for someone who wishes to go after him, or in other words, follow him. So number one, let him deny himself. Number two, take up his cross. And number three, simply follow him. And why are these requirements for someone who wishes to follow him? You know, why are these requirements for someone who wishes to go after him? It's because these things are what Jesus already has done. So in order to follow him, we have to follow in his footsteps and do what he has, he has done. So he's already denied himself, he already took up his cross, and he already followed on. So he's saying, if anybody comes after me, he has to do these things as well, and follow my footsteps. So we're going to look at these three things tonight, and hopefully come away with a better understanding of what it means to be a Christian, and what it really means to truly follow Jesus. So, <clears throat> point one, the invitation. Confused there with all these notes. And the pulpit in the office, there's like a good place to put the water, but sadly not here. So, so before I go on to these three steps, I'm going to look at the invitational aspect of Christ's words here. Matthew 16, 24. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So first of all, we see an invitation here. If any man will. So Jesus puts out the invitation here to follow him. He says, if any man. So that, that means it doesn't matter what age you are, you know, whether you're ancient, whether you're really young, or whether you're a baby. Or, well, maybe not a baby, but, you know, ancient, middle-aged, old, young. You can make the decision to follow Jesus. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what race you're from. Uh, black, white, Chinese, Filipino, uh, whatever. It, it, does, it means it doesn't matter what situation you're in in life, whether you're unemployed or employed, whether you're a carpenter or an office worker or a housewife, or a single parent, or divorced, or, you know, sick, or in prison. He says, if any man. So it means it doesn't matter how morally weak you've been, you know, whether you're a drug addict, or a drunkard, or a thief, or an idolater all your life, you can still make the decision to follow Jesus. Uh, Jesus says, if any man will come after me. So it obviously includes women as well. So he says, if any man will. So the word will in the King James Version often means wishes to or desires to, as in it is your will or your willing, and this is what it means here. So Jesus says, if any person is willing to follow me, so it's a choice. Um, following Jesus has to come from an inward desire and our own will. So just because you're born into a Christian home doesn't mean you're automatically following Jesus. You have to have that desire yourself to follow Jesus. Or just because you find yourself connected to a church or a religious organization doesn't mean you're automatically following Jesus. You have to have that deep personal desire yourself to follow him. So he says, if any man will, and once we have that personal desire to follow Christ, and you're willing to count the cost and make that decision to follow Christ, then he says, you must follow these three steps. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So before I go on, it's important to point out that in context here, Jesus is speaking about personal salvation. Because if we look at the verses after verse 24 here, it's about being saved from eternal damnation. So um, maybe if I could get someone to read uh, some verses, Matthew 16, 24 to 26. Dan, would you read those, please? Matthew 16, 24. To 26. Mm-hmm. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, 
and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he get, shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Yeah, so he's clearly talking about someone who makes that decision to discard a life of ignorance and instead follow Jesus and as a result win eternal life. So you might say, you know, well, you know, I'm already saved. You know, I'm already converted. But that's not where it stops. You know, if we are to be prove ourselves true followers of Jesus, we have to, you know, keep on denying ourselves. We have to keep on taking up our cross and we have to keep following Jesus. So in Luke 9.23 is a good cross reference if you want to turn there. Keep your finger in Matthew 16, 24, I suppose. So Luke 9, 23. And um, Gavin, could you read Luke 9, 23, please? Yeah, so there's, it, there's a, a, a different word in there. Does anybody recognize what it is? No, will was in the, in the last verse as well. So, daily, yeah. So that's the difference uh, between, you know, what he said in Matthew and what he says here. He says, do it daily. So the, this kind of following Jesus is not just something we have to do at the point of conversion. We have to do it on a day-to-day basis. We have to keep it up daily. Because uh, even though our old corrupt nature was defeated at, Salvation, technically, it was defeated, but it still keeps coming back again and again. You know, kind of like um, I compare it to like a conquered army, such as like you know when the uh, when the Americans invaded Iraq and they toppled Saddam Hussein. You know, the Iraqi, you know, the terrorists and whatever like fighters kept kept on coming again and again and again. Even though technically they were defeated, they didn't stop fighting. So that's just like our flesh. You know, like Peter says in First Peter two eleven. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from flesh, fleshly lusts which war against the soul. So it continues to war against the soul, even though our flesh has been defeated, technically. So we must continue to resist, continue to keep our, our guard up, and continue to follow Jesus into everlasting life. So let's look at the first step of following Christ here, and that's denying yourself. So point two, deny yourself. So if you go back to Matthew 16, 24, just to remind ourselves what it says. Matthew 16, 24. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, just the first step, and take up his cross and follow me. So the first principle of truly following Jesus is self-denial. And there's a reason why it's the first principle of following Jesus, because if we don't fulfill this principle... Our good old selves will keep on distracting us as we try and follow Jesus. Our good old selves will keep on, you know, trying to drag us down. So it's kind of like, I compare it to, like, you know, if you have this untrained dog and you're walking to the shop and you decide to bring the dog on the leash with you and he keeps on, like, sniffing at trees and, you know, going after pieces of rubbish and running after other dogs and you're, like, constantly dragging him, it'll probably take you, like, it might be a five-minute walk to the shop, but it'll probably take you, like, 20 minutes to get there with the dog on. But if you just let the, let the dog go or just let the leash go and say, you know, forget about that, I'm going to go to the shop, you know, you'll get there a lot faster. And it's the same with the Christian life. You know, if we bring ourselves along for the ride, uh, you know, we're never going to really succeed. We're constantly going to be falling. So if we're trying to follow Christ and we're carrying self along for the ride, 
with all its biases and hang-ups and fears and feelings and past and all its habits and worldly attitudes and lust and pride and image concerns, then we're going to get nowhere in the Christian life. And that's why we have to ditch uh, Mr. Self or Mrs. Self before we do anything and then keep following Christ. In some ways, it wouldn't be an overstatement to call self a dangerous and wild adversary if we let it loose. You know, like maybe not quite like a dog, maybe, maybe like a grizzly bear. But really the truth is that self greatly hinders us as Christians. Self stops us from growing in Christ. Self steals us of our joy in Christ. And self can cause us to falter and fail miserably. And it gets even more extreme. Self has the potential to send other people to hell quicker. And self has the potential to destroy churches. And self even has the potential to destroy Christian families. Um, so basically... If this adversary of self is not resisted and it goes unchecked, it will cause utter destruction. So we have to deny ourselves. And, you know, it's, it's, no, uh, it's no easy thing. You know, in fact, it's one of the hardest things to do in the Christian life is actually to deny yourself. You know, sometimes it's easy to say no to your kids or to say no to your boss or to say no to your friends. Uh, and it's especially easy to say no to the government or even say no to the devil. Sometimes we can even say no to the devil. But it's another thing altogether to say no to yourself. Yeah, and yet, uh, we have to do this if, if we are to be successful in following Jesus. You know, it means kind of like if every fiber of your being is screaming at you to do the wrong thing, you go against it and you do the right thing. You know, or if every fiber of your being is telling you not to do the right thing, you'll go against it and you just do the right thing. You know, that's denying yourself. So Jesus himself gave us the ultimate example of self-denial. You know, when he laid down his own life. So, you know, what is the most basic human instinct? You know, to survive, yeah. Yeah, or, or, yeah, to survive or like to avoid pain and suffering. And Jesus willingly gave himself over to scourging, suffering, mockery, spitting, and an extremely painful death, despite the fact that his body would have been screaming at him, you know. As a man, his body would have just not, didn't want that. You know, his body would have been screaming at him, don't do this. But he still went against his own flesh his own body, um, not that he had a sinful nature or anything, of course. He went against his own body and he, and he did what was necessary. So, you know, just think about it. How much more successful would we be as Christians if we didn't obey ourselves so much? And how much more would we accomplish if we didn't waste so much time pampering and entertaining our own selfish desires? And we know that self is in control when our lives are governed much more by our hearts rather than by the Bible. And when our beliefs and ways of doing things are much more influenced by the mind than by the Bible. So, sadly, oftentimes, it's our feelings and our natural ways of thinking that stand in the way of our complete submission to the Word of God. You know, how often do we hear ourselves making excuses like, that doesn't feel good to me, or I don't feel like it today, or it's just not my thing, or I can't do it, or I don't want to do that, or even... You know, I'm afraid or I'd be too embarrassed. So this is the I and the me that we have to recognize and deny. So we have to resolve daily not to pay attention to all the unbiblical things that I feel or that I want or the unbiblical things that I think and just pay attention to what the Bible says. So um, <clears throat> self-denial, it may sound restricting or constricting. You know, at this stage you might be thinking like, you know, do I have to turn into a monk, check myself into a monastery, get up at four o'clock? every morning, sleep on a bed of bricks, um, whatever, etc., etc. But uh, in fact, the kind of self-denial that Christ is speaking about is actually liberating. It's not 
constricting. It's not restricting, you know, like in a monastery. So really, when you think about it, it's our flesh that restricts us from experiencing a more full and abundant life in Christ. Um, but self-denial liberates us to being able to enjoy a much fuller walk with God. And self-denial liberates us to be able to walk in the Spirit and show forth its good fruits. And self-denial liberates us uh, onto a much more fulfilling and en- enriching uh, Christian experience overall. So we can see that denying yourself, you know, even in everyday example, leads to greater accomplishments. You know, even outside of the spiritual realm, self-denial leads to greater accomplishments. Like I was reading um, a book that John gave me a few weeks back about this Navy SEAL guy, and he was talking about his Navy SEAL training. You know, he had to do these crazy things. You know, as a Navy SEAL, he had to, um, our training, uh, he had to go through, like, uh, not sleeping for a week, um, you know, like, Diving in the dark, you know, in like minus zero degrees te- uh, temperatures and eating sand and all this kind of mad stuff, running from oils. But you know, if like if he ever actually listened to his flesh, he would have accomplished absolutely nothing. He would have left after the first day of that training. But because he didn't listen to his flesh, he was able to accomplish so much more and become a bona fide Navy SEAL in the end, you know. Um, <clears throat> and it's the same in many examples in... Um, in ordinary life. So, where's my other ones? Oh, yeah. Where am I here? Oh, yeah. So, in a similar kind of way, Paul uses the example of athletes competing for a prize. Um, so if you want to turn to 1 Corinthians, keep your finger in Matthew 16, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Now, there's nothing really spiritual about um, winning a gold medal or becoming a world heavyweight champion in boxing, but it can teach us good lessons for the spiritual realm, as as Paul shows. Um, So, so 1 Corinthians 9.25, Dean, can you read that, please? Yeah. So I just wanted to focus on that statement that Paul makes. Every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Temperate means to be controlled. You know, he doesn't go overboard. He doesn't sleep too long or, you know, eat the wrong things, etc., etc. You know, athletes that actually accomplish anything, you know, whether it's boxers, marathon runners, you know, swimmers, whatever. You know, they're always very strict with their diet, uh, you know, and they do training every day. They, They don't listen to their body's, you know, carnal desires a lot of the time. And that kind of self-denial is what wins them the prize. Um, And then Paul says, um, they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. So they do it to obtain a gold medal or something, but our self-denial, you know, will result in a far greater prize and that kind of stuff. So let's read on to the next few verses. Dean, can you continue on to uh, verse 26 and 27, please? So, like, in a similar way as the athletes, you know, Paul trains his body just as we're supposed to keep under our bodies, bring it into subjection, you know, be temperate, deny ourselves, 
um, lest when we have preached to others, we also should be a castaway. So it's really, it's listening to ourselves that actually limits us and keeps us in bondage. You know, whereas denying ourselves actually liberates us to greater and bigger and greater things in the Christian life. So I just took a, a sample of what Matthew Henry says about this uh, Bible verse in his commentary, because I thought it was quite good. He says, If self-denial be a hard lesson and against the grain to flesh and blood, it is no more than what our Master learned and practiced before us and for us, both for our redemption and for our instruction. And a servant is not above his Lord. Note, all the disciples and followers of Jesus Christ must deny themselves. It is the fundamental law of admission in, into Christ's school and the first and great lesson to be learned in this school, to deny ourselves. It is both the straight gate and the narrow way. It is necessary in order to our learning all the other good lessons that are there taught. We must deny ourselves absolutely. We must not admire our own shadow nor gratify our own humor. We must not lean to our own understanding nor seek our own things nor be our own end. We must deny ourselves comparative, comparatively we must deny ourselves for Christ and his will and glory and the service of his interest in the world. We must deny ourselves for our brethren and for their good. And we must deny ourselves for ourselves, deny the appetites of the body for the benefit of the soul. So after we've passed the stage of self-denial, we come to the next step and that's take up your cross. So, um, point three, take up your cross. So we turn back to Matthew 16, 24, just to read that one again, come to the second step. Matthew 16, 24. So he says, if any man, then said Jesus unto his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So the second principle of following Jesus and which comes after denying yourself is taking up your cross. So what does it mean to take up your cross? You know, it obviously doesn't mean literally carrying around a cross um, your whole life or wearing a cross or having a cross dangling from your rear view mirror. So Jesus is speaking figuratively, obviously, so when he says take up your cross. Because in those days when uh, criminals were sentenced to crucifixion, they'd have to carry the cross on their shoulders all the way up to, you know, to the place where they were actually going to be uh, executed. So in the context of Roman rule, the cross represented various things. Um, things like shame, disgrace and humiliation. Because you know when criminals had to walk through the streets, just like Jesus did, uh, you know, with the cross on their back, you know, people were obviously looking down on them, you know, probably like scorning them, mocking them, whatever, as they walked to their, to their death. Um, <clears throat> and they would have looked down on them as they went to their death sentence. And as Christians, this is part of our following Jesus as well. You know, Jesus had to go through this kind of humiliation, just like a criminal, even though he was completely innocent. And we have to go through the same thing as we live out our Christian lives in public. Uh, I remember one time when myself, Marcus, and Josh Ledbetter were in a cafe a few years back. And Marcus captured it perfectly. You know, I think we were having some food or some scones or something. And I said, uh, I said, you know, who's going to pray for the food? And Marcus said, said to me, uh, you pray, Barry, and me and Josh will bear our cross. You know, that was just it perfectly captured. Because, uh, you know, bearing the cross, just being in a restaurant full of unbelievers and then to, them to look down on us and scorn us, you know, as we pray in the middle of the restaurant. You know, that was a perfect example. But there's a more serious connotation, connotation of bearing our cross 
uh, as Christians, you know, people will hate us and mock us and scorn us because they think, because they really think we're the bad guys. You know, you know, here in Ireland, it's not too bad. You know, people will probably mainly think you're mad if you're a Christian or crazy or something. Uh, and the more spiritual you are, and the more outwardly you practice Christianity, you'll find the more opposition you'll get, and the more mockery and stuff, the more names we get. Um, and in other parts of the Western world, starting to creep in here as well, um, you know, people really see Christians as the bad guys. They actually see Christians as equal with criminals, you know, with all this stuff about like hate speech, uh, political correctness. They actually see cr- uh, Christians as, oh, you're part of the problem, you know what I mean? So, even though we're completely innocent like Jesus. But Jesus had to go through all this too, even though he was innocent, and we have to take it as part of following him. You know, he didn't make a fuss about it. He just took up his cross and followed and carried it. You know, he didn't care what people thought, you know, people thought he was a criminal or whatever. He just did what, what needed to be done. He took up his cross. Um, and if you're a Christian, even over in the Arab world, you know, you're, you're even seen not only as a bad guy, you're seen as an enemy of God. You know, or in North Korea, you're seen as an enemy of the state. So, so the cross is all about shame and humiliation and accepting that, you know, that humiliation for Christ. So, in the context of Roman rule, the cross could represent other things as well, like a burden. So, because the criminal, because the cross that the criminals would have would have to carry, you know, would have been obviously heavy, and they would have had to carry it all the way to the execution point. So, when Jesus says, "Take up your cross," he's probably referring to the cross also as a burden. And as Christians, there are certain, you know, afflictions and liabilities that we have to carry as Christians that unbelievers don't have to carry, you know. Uh, and we should never try to exchange these uh, liabilities for a so-called easier life. You know, the burdens could be different for everybody. You know, for some, they have to deal with unsaved family members that they don't quite get on with, or unsaved spouses, or the burden could be persecution for some people. So it's a different affliction. Um, or maybe lack of friends, you know, if you're a teenager and you're trying to live for Christ. So it's a, it's a different burden for everyone. But um, <clears throat> Jesus says in the broad scheme of things, his burden is light. Um, you're all familiar with Matthew 11, 29. Might as well turn back and go there. And, uh, um, Matthew 11, 29 and 30. And uh, Andrew, can you read that? Please. And take my yoke upon you, and uh, learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest in your soul. Oh, and uh, first thirty is there. Yeah. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Yeah. So ultimately, that's the ultimate truth that we have to keep in mind, no matter what burden or, you know, thing we have to carry on our back or endure as Christians it's not as hard as what it would be if we were unbelievers as the burdens and the, and the stresses that we'd have to carry as unbelievers without God's help as well so the cross would also have also represented endurance because someone condemned to be crucified would have to carry the, cra- the cross all the way to the end you know it's not like they can just drop it off at some point uh, or carry it quarter of the way or half the way they would have to carry it all the way to the end so, and it obviously would have gotten harder the more, the longer they carried it, it would have gotten harder and harder uh, when fatigue set in, etc. So, you know, there's a myth out there, a popular myth that says Jesus fell three times on his way to the cross, but this is found nowhere in the Bible. It's just a myth. So, even when we're tired or weak, we have to keep, we have to keep going. We have to keep carrying the cross to the end. 
just like Jesus did. And lastly, in the Roman world, the cross would have represented a resignation to death. So if you were carrying a cross, it basically meant your life was over. You know, you weren't going to live past that point because you're going to be crucified. So, and in spiritual terms, we are to regard our lives of sin as over. So, um, you want to turn to Romans 6, just to, I'm sure most of you are familiar with these verses, but good to be reminded, I suppose. Romans chapter 6 and verse 6. And uh, Bill, can you read those uh, those verses, please? Uh, Romans six six to eleven, please. So we are to reckon ourselves, our old lives as dead. Uh, you know, as we carry the cross, we're to reckon, you know, our flesh is dead. You know, we've been crucified with Christ and we're going to live a new life for God. Um, so in, in the context of Jesus' life, the cross also represented some things as well, such as his personal responsibility. You know, that was his, his duty to come and die for the sins of the world, which he took upon himself. Um, you know, he came to the earth with the responsibility and duty to redeem us, and he accomplished it by taking up his cross. You know, he wasn't uh, hesitant about taking up his cross. And just like him, we have to fulfill our own personal God-given responsibilities when we take up our cross. Uh, in the context of Jesus' life, the cross also represented God's will, which he followed, and we must also follow. You know? So, in another place, uh, Matthew ten thirty-eight, Jesus says, and he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. So this is, this is how essential it is to following Jesus, to being a real true Christian. Jesus says, if you don't do this, if you don't take up your cross just like I did, you're not worthy of me. So those are the first two steps or two principles of following Jesus. Number one, deny yourself. Number two, take up your cross. And my final point is number three, follow Christ. Um, <clears throat> So Matthew 16.24, then said Jesus, oh yeah, sorry, you want to turn back to Matthew 16.24 again. Um, and this is the last principle of following Christ. Um, then said Jesus unto his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So last of all, um, when we have done all this, denied ourselves, taken up our cross, we must follow Jesus. So then, and only then, can we follow Jesus as we ought to, if we've already passed the first two principles. So, to me, the, the words, follow me, signifies some important things. So firstly, it signifies that we are not alone on the journey. So it's not just a case of, take up your cross and, you know, follow whatever the way the wind, you know, takes you. Follow a, lo a lonely journey, you know, along a, this lonely path. So um, 
he says, follow me. So um, when you're following someone, you know, you know, whether you're walking, following them or whatever, yeah, you're never going to be alone. You're always going to be with that person as long as you keep following them. So we're on a defined path through life that Christ has already walked and will help us to walk. So it's important to remember we're not alone. You know, Jesus, one of his last promises to his disciples in Matthew 28, verse 20, he says, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Um, so two, follow me signifies that Jesus doesn't tell us to do anything he himself is not willing to do. It's not like he said, you know, go and do this or that and I'll watch, you know. He's actually gone and done it himself. He's already denied himself. He's already uh, taken up his cross and he's already followed. Uh, he's already followed God's will. So um, he himself went all the way denying himself and taking up his own cross for us. So three, follow me signifies that Jesus is someone that knows the way. You know, like say it's if you're out uh, in some uh, county that you don't know the roads very well and you're driving around looking for some place, you know, you probably ask, you might ask someone, you know, what, you know, how do I get to such and such a place? And they'll say, oh, just follow me, I'm going there as well. So when he says, or whatever, who, whoever you stopped, when he says, I'll f uh, follow me, you, you, you realize, oh, he knows the way. So, and it's the same with Christ. He knows the way into everlasting life. So let's go to John chapter 14. Um, verse 5. So when he says, follow me, you know, it gives us confidence. that He knows, he knows exactly the way to take into everlasting life. John 14, 5. John, or Thomas, saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? And verse 6 says, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So not only does he know the way, he is the way. So following him is the way into everlasting life. So, and we should keep in mind that Jesus didn't just deny himself and die on the cross, you know, and that was it, you know. Uh, so when we follow him, we don't just deny ourselves to, and take up our cross, and, you know, that's, that's the end of the story, you know. He also rose again and is now honored and glorified. So it's the same with, follow, with following him, you know. It doesn't just involve self-denial, taking up our cross. It will also involve in, in our existence, resurrection, and also being glorified just as he was. So that's the most important part, really, and entering into the kingdom of God just like he did. So just as a side note, the statement, um, follow me, also indicates a continual activity. So, you know, if you're following someone and you just stay still or sit down, you know, you're, they're, they're going to, you, you know, you're, whatever, they're going to lose you. So a continual activity, you know, the Christian life is always supposed to be, you know, active, 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 you know, not standing still. It also indicates a zealous pursuit, um, a continuance, a pressing toward the mark, um, as well as watching and emulating Christ as we go through life. So these, all these things should characterize our lives as Christians. So Matthew Henry says here, uh, in this verse, or in this, on this point, a disciple of Christ comes after him, as the sheep after the shepherd, the servant after his master, the soldier after their captain. He is one that aims at the same end that Christ aimed at, the glory of God and the glory of heaven, and one that walks in the same way that he walked in, is led by the sp his spirit 
treads in his steps, submits to his conduct, and follows the Lamb whithersoever he goes. So in conclusion, um, in order for someone to be considered a true Christian, a true follower of Christ, uh, he or she must fit the criteria for following Christ, as laid out by Christ himself. So the three principles of following Jesus, just to jog your memory, so we must first, number one, deny ourselves, two, take up your own personal cross, and three, uh, follow Jesus, just keep following him. So that's my message for tonight. I'm just going to pray and finish off. <clears throat> Lord, um, <clears throat> thank you, God, just for this just great scripture in the Word of God. Lord, um, it's, a, it's a tough one in many ways, God. It's a tough one to take uh, in light of uh, our fleshliness, God, and our inward desire, Lord, uh, that corrupt nature that we inherited from Adam, God, just wants to go against your ways, Lord, just wants to do our own thing, God. The last thing we want to do is deny ourselves, Lord. I just pray, Lord, you encourage us tonight, God, and um, help us just take these things to heart and uh, live as true Christians, Lord, um, you know, implementing these these three principles into our own lives, Lord, um, and just keep on following Jesus, Lord, and, and not letting go, Lord. Um, Thank you just for the opportunity to preach, and I pray you just bless our way home, God, and uh, just give us peace in the week. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.